but we're looking we're looking here at Galatians 3 starting in verse 6 and uh, we'll go to probably just verse 9 at this point um, yeah we'll go all the way to 14 okay I'm gonna read uh, Galatians 3 verse 6 to 14 just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 3, verse 6, all the way through 14. So, Paul has been looking at this concept and this idea of justified, uh, are we justified by works or justified by faith? And, and, you know, the rabbis were, well, let, let's step back a little bit, okay? So we've talked about this. The, the early church was just a sect of Judaism. They did not consider themselves starting a whole new religion. They didn't consider themselves starting a whole new denomination, any of that. They saw themselves as just a sect of Judaism. That was it. They just were trying to help all the others in the Jewish faith to see that Jesus was the Messiah. Just like Martin Luther when you know he was kicked out. Just like John Wesley in the Anglican Church and we started the Methodist movement, they, they never considered themselves trying to start a new denomination. You know, I, I think that, um, by the way, hey, good morning, Tom. You know, that speaks to this idea of when someone leaves a church in order to start a new one and they leave on poor terms, can and will God fully bless that? And are they honoring God in that? You know, none of them thought that they were going to start a new denomination. They were seeking to redeem and restore the denomination they were in, the, the religion that they were in, and Judaism. And, you know, Jesus and all the major players in the story were Jews. Um, they didn't want to start a new religion, but they were trying to show what Judaism had hoped for. Again, that Jesus was the Messiah. Hey, Brooke, Paul was not trying to break them away from Judaism. And, you know, he, in fact, speaks so often of his ministry and he would go into a town and it would start in the synagogues. It would start with the Jews. You know, it wasn't actually until sometime in that last decade of the first century, so like 90 AD to 100, um, that uh, 
that the rabbis actually officially excommunicated all the Christians. And so they just were considering themselves, they would go to the synagogue and worship and all of that um, up until the end of the first century. Hey, Sharon. So it's just, uh, you know, kind of interesting when you think of that. So he gets into this whole thing. He begins to start asking these questions like, who are the people of God? It's a good question, right? Who are the people of God? Are, are they blood descendants of Abraham? Uh, do they come out of Abraham? And, and if so, I mean, because they all agreed on that, that Abraham was the father, you know, father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father Abraham. Okay. Um, but, you know, it was, they were all descendants of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was, you know, who their, their patriarch, you know, they considered, they looked back all the way to there. And that's when they felt that the, you know, Israelite nation started was with Abraham and God's covenant to Abraham. And, and, uh, but in asking that question, who are the descendants, they began to ask that question of, well, what identifies them? And that's where they got so stuck on circumcision. And they felt that circumcision in the law is what identified them. You know, the law didn't come around until Moses, right? The, the law wasn't with Abraham. And so Paul, instead of going back to Moses and the, the Mosaic laws, he goes back to the founder. He goes back to Abraham and says, well, let's, let's talk about Abraham. And so like in verse six to nine, he, he introduces them to Father Abraham. I mean, they know who Father Abraham is, but they, he, he begins to point out and quoting verses from Genesis, like Genesis 15, six and Genesis 12, three. And, you know, he first talks about how God counted Abraham righteous by faith. So true descendants must relate to God through faith. What's interesting, so verse six here, if you look at it, it actually says, so Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And uh, I, I did just kind of a quick search of different translations and they almost all say as, but the original Greek word, the original Greek word is like, it's E-I-S, yes, yes. And uh, it, it means for. So, you know, you get this picture of, Abraham came by faith to God with whatever he had, which wasn't anything, right? And God took it and gave him credit, gave him a gift of righteousness. You know, as can almost make it sound like, well, he came with his faith and because of his faith, he was given. So faith that we do, right? That faith became a work. And that's what the rabbis preached was that it was his um, his deeds. It was how good Abraham was, that he obeyed God so well, and so God credited to him as righteousness. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. It was faith, faith alone. He didn't have the law. He, he didn't have any good deeds. Yeah, he followed God, but he still messed up, right? I mean, he lied. He, you know, he swindled people. I, there, there were all kinds of things that he did. He, he uh, uh, you know, two occasions he said to Sarai, Hey, uh, I don't want him to kill me. So why don't you say you're my sister? Because I mean, that was a half truth, right? I mean, it was his stepsister or half sister, you know, I mean, yeah, the Bible's full of kind of weird things like that, you know, half sisters and yeah. Um, but that God counted it to Abraham righteousness just because of his gift, because of what he gave. He didn't have to earn it. It was this free gift given to him. You know, second, he recalls God's promise that even Gentiles would be brought and blessed through Abraham. 
that Gentiles, that all nations would come to be blessed because and through Abraham. You know, verse 10 to 12, he begins to cite uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26, and, you know, about how if you rely on the law, you're under the curse of the law. And, and that's why we need Jesus Christ, because we are all cursed by the law. We can't uphold it. We can't do what it says. We can't fulfill the law. Only Jesus could come and fulfill the law so that we don't have to. He became the curse of the law. You know, I love the concept of the blessing. You know, the blessing, um, I believe it was in Numbers, the, the primary blessing. Let me pull it up because I had looked it up earlier. Um, here we go. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. I love this. Numbers 6. Sorry, small print, trying to find it here. Number six, 24 to 26. I, I love, so, you know, the blessings were, were are very big in the Jewish faith. That, you know, they would have blessings that you would say over your children, over your male children and your female children. And, and there were blessings that you would say when you got out of bed. And there were, you know, blessings because the blessing culture, I mean, think about it. Um, you know, it's the same thing in America. We tell you if you think good thoughts, right? If you are constantly thinking of a blessing and giving blessing to others and not curses, wouldn't that change your spirit? Wouldn't you be a happier person? Wouldn't you be more in tune with what God wanted when you were just constantly thinking of blessings and a way to bless people? not just financially, but even just emotionally and through our words, right? So here's the this blessing that is, it's called the priestly blessing. And it was the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. There's just a beautiful blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Isn't that awesome? You know, if somebody were to say that to you every day, I mean, that's just, you know, it's not anything that I get to bless you. It's that God blesses you. He wants to. The Lord bless you, not because of our works, but because of faith. Lord bless you and keep you. And, and Paul is saying that that blessing has been extended to all. It's been extended to everybody. It's not just a Jewish blessing. It is now something that even the Gentiles, the Gentiles are to be blessed through faith in Jesus Christ. So why go back to Abraham? Well, Abraham was the father of the Israelite nation, right? So the rabbis continually preached Moses because Moses is the one who brought the law and they liked the law. And so they would point to the law all the time, but they kind of forgot Abraham. They forgot this person who lived before the law and yet was still righteous before God. And so Paul goes back to Abraham as the father, as the founder of the Jewish Israelite nation and shows them that he was before the law and that he relied solely on faith and that faith was credited to him for righteousness. Romans 4, by the way, I mean, we could we could go to Romans and read that whole passage, but Romans 4 is Paul going to more in depth. So Galatians is kind of this, this um, quick 
It's beginning one of the first books he wrote. And then Romans is another one where he just expounded on this even more. And so if you're more interested in this idea of Abraham and how he was pointing to Abraham as the father of faith, not works, go read Romans 4. Um, but again, the rabbis, they were they were focused on works. They, they, they would tell you that Abraham and all of his deeds and works are what God saw and credited to him as righteousness. That, that's why if you will, things like sacrificing Isaac were such a big story to them because it was a work. And by doing that, Abraham earned God's righteousness. But it was more a sign of his faith, right? That's what Paul points to in Romans 4. It was his faith in going, you know what? God's promised me a great nation through Isaac. And if, you know what? If, if I sacrifice him, he can either raise him from the dead or raise up another. I, I just know it. God will keep his promise. It was a faith in God's promise to do what he had said, not just a sheer obedience. It was both, right? But not just obedience. It wasn't a works of Abraham. He didn't earn his righteousness. It was all by faith in God's grace. You know, I, I love this. I, I read this about the law. So we, we've kind of said some things similar to this over the last few days. But the law may reveal disease, but it cannot bring the healing. Right? The law can reveal to us our sin. The law can reveal to us our disease, our brokenness. But the law doesn't bring about healing. An officer gives you a ticket driving down the road. It may make you slow down for a little while, right? But it doesn't change the way you drive. If you have a lead foot, you're probably gonna have a lead foot even after the ticket. The law points out your disease, but it doesn't bring about healing. Now, okay, take that chain of logic, and if the police officer were to re revoke your license, maybe it would bring about some healing, right? <laughs> But that's in the extreme case, okay? But no, the whole point is that the law just brings about, it points out the disease, but it doesn't bring about our healing. That's what faith does. You know, we, we sometimes, hi, Nancy, we, we sometimes forget, and there are things that we say that are very works-oriented, and we don't even realize it. So how many times have you ever said or heard somebody say, God helps those who help themselves, right? Uh, God helps them who helps themselves. Now, that's a statement that is very reformed. It's very justified by works when relating to this type of a thing, right? Now, if, if you were to say that about laziness, okay, you know, we can say that. There are times where you can say that, but when it, when it has to do with whether God uh, will forgive you or not, whether God will look at you with love or not, that's when a statement like that has a very negative connotation. And we begin to think that, well, I have to earn it. I have to earn God, God's love. I, I have to earn God's privilege, right? I have to earn, I have to earn it. You know, often when I, when I hear people say that, um, we generally take a minute and we, we start looking and like any good psychologist, right? You know, we look at their, their upbringing. We look at their, 
their relationship with their own father. Because it's hard to see God as a loving, gracious father and not a, you know, depending on your your upbringing, a um, distant father, a deadbeat father, a um, person who ignores you, a, you know, we, we, we often see our father, God, in light of the way that we see our own earthly father. Something we have to be very, very cautious of, that our picture of God the Father is given to us only through Scripture and, and not through experience with a human fall, fallible individual. And we look at God that way. You know, he's the old man in the sky who keeps a record of right and wrong. Oh, wait, that's Santa Claus. You know, I mean, we can easily look at God, not as this God who loved us so much that made a way and he showed it to us even in the Israelites where they screwed up time after time after time and time and time and time and time again. But because of his promise to them, he might punish them for a little while, but he would always bring them back. He always made a way. That's God. That's our loving father who loves us so much that in spite of us, no matter what, he loves us. And because of faith, when we accept it by faith and trust, and his son, Jesus Christ, and that atonement, that justification we've talked about the last couple of days, he cleanses us and clothes us with his righteousness, not ours, not because of anything we've done. But then remember, we're transferred, transformed inwardly. Then we begin to want to be different outwardly and corporately. You know, I love the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Oh, we've heard that preached so many different times, and it relates to this. So Jesus, right before that parable, is asked by a Pharisee. He's asked, well, what must I do, right? What must I do? We all want to know. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Do I need to go to church every single Sunday? Do I need to pray 17 times a week? Do I need to um, read my Bible at least seven hours a week? And I mean, you know, we, we want to know what do I need to do? Tell me, because then we can do the bare minimum, right? We can justify ourselves just like this man in the story, the Pharisee. Hey, Vicki, good morning. Just like that person in the story, they wanted to justify themselves. And what did Jesus say? He goes, well, what's the law say? Okay, let's try to justify yourself by the law. And he goes, love God, love others. Jesus goes, that's right. And if you'll fulfill that, you'll be doing really well. And because the Pharisee looked in his own heart and knew he didn't have it. He didn't really love his neighbor. He, he knew there were times that he messed up. And so he began to try to justify himself some more and said, well, well, who exactly is my neighbor? You know, because, of course, he was wanting to say that it was only people who were nice to him. It was only Jews. It was only those like him. It wasn't the others. You know, it wasn't the Gentiles. And where does Jesus go? He goes to this story of a good Samaritan. And now we so often hear it preached of you're to be the good Samaritan, right? You're the Gentile, you're a Samaritan, and so you need to be better than the priest and the worship leader and all those things because um, when you see somebody hurting, you go and run to them and you help them, okay? And, and that is a great way to preach it. There's truth in that, there really is. But here's the thing, Jesus was speaking to this Pharisee, this keeper of the law, and he goes, no, 
You don't see yourself as the guy who walked by. You don't see yourself as the one who walked to the other side so as to stay clean. You don't even see yourself as a Samaritan. You see yourself as that broken, hurting, dying individual in the ditch. You have nothing to offer. That's who you are. And yet Jesus is that good Samaritan who, in spite of us having nothing to offer, comes, bandages our wounds, and will pay for our healing for all times, for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the love of God that he was speaking to in that moment. You're the person in the ditch, broken. You can't come to God on your own. You, you have nothing to offer. You have been robbed of everything. You can't even get up on your own. And if left to your own graces, you will die in that sin ditch. But God, Jesus steps in, makes a way, bandages you up, takes you to a place of healing because he loves you because of his grace. That's what Jesus was talking about in that Good Samaritan story. You know, I pray today that that will, maybe, you, maybe you've never thought of it that way. Maybe that will hit you in a, in a different way. You know, you, you, yes, we're intended to be the Samaritans in, in, in situations. We are to go out. We're to love on those around us. We are to reach out to them, but not in our namesake, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And the only reason we can do that is because Jesus Christ was the good Samaritan. He was the one who picked us up out of the ditch in our brokenness and is working to make us whole. He's putting his cloak on us, right? He's clothing us, putting his salves and his ointments. That's grace. That's grace. Hey, Penny, good morning. So I, I pray that you'll... Realize there's nothing in ourselves. There's no works we can do to earn it. We come to Christ by faith in Jesus Christ, his atonement on the cross. We are justified only by him and faith in him. And that faith and trust leads to more and more desire to want to be different inwardly so that we're different outwardly and corporately. That's the message of the cross. That's the message and the glory of what God did for us. And that Paul is saying there's such freedom in that. There's such freedom in knowing that I don't have to do anything to earn my salvation, but I don't sit there in, in a prideful spirit, lord that over others. I don't, I don't lord that over God and say, well, there's nothing I got to do to earn this. No, we through humility, right? We talked about that atonement leads, that humility that we, we in a humble attitude say, God, I can't ever pay you back. can't ever pay you back for what you did for me. It's out of that grace, that understanding, that awe and wonder of his grace. that We say, God, 
I can't just sit. I, I, I can't just be quiet. I, I, I can't just go through life and watch people going to hell because they don't know you. They don't understand. But it's not because I have anything to offer. I'm the person in the ditch. And there's still things in my lives that I'm broken about and you're still working on me about. But God, I love you so much. And this grace, I'm so in all of it that that all in that power of the Holy Spirit leads me to tell others because I can't bear for them not to understand and have that aha moment when they realize that there's nothing more I can do. That's what Ecclesiastes, was, Ecclesiastes is saying, right? It's all meaningless. All works is meaningless under the sun except for knowing Jesus Christ. Who gives us the power and the desire to tell everybody about his son? one who brings all, the one who brings his glory and righteousness onto us as believers for his name's sake, not ours, for his glory, not mine. So John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the message of the gospel of grace that we decrease in light of his glory. So when people look at us, they see him. You know, I, I've, I've heard that described in so many different examples. And every analogy has a breakdown in one way, shape, or form, right? When you're trying to describe God. And I've heard people say, well, we want to be like the moon reflecting the sun, or we want to be like a mirror reflecting Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's so true. But in my mind, I also say, but then you still see the moon. You still see the mirror. I want to be like a transparent piece of glass that when people stare through me, that they don't even see me. They walk away. They may not even know or remember my name. All they know and remember is that Jesus was present, that they could see Jesus in and through me. May we be more like glass than just a mirror. May we be more like glass than just the moon. God, I love you. We praise you. Lord, thank you for that grace that you freely give to us that we can't earn. It's not Christ and Christ only, through faith and trust in him and you alone, the power of the spirit that then works in us, that comes alive, that quickens our hearts to want to grow more and more like you. And as we are trying and seeking you in awe and wonder, we humble ourselves more and more because we begin to realize we're not the Samaritan. We're not the Levite. We're not the priest. We're the one broken in the ditch, dying, if not for your grace. If it wasn't for grace, I don't know where I would be. It's a great song just came to my mind. If it hadn't been for grace, God, we love you. We praise you. May you get the glory through our lives, you and you alone.
for your name's sake. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, everybody. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Have a great day.